Today we open the scriptures to 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. I encourage you, invite you to open the word, open the Bibles in front of you so that you continue to look at it as we study. I'm going to read it first. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are dishonest. For it is a commendable thing if being aware of God, a person endures pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do good and suffer for it, this is a commendable thing before God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It's the word of the Lord. Have you ever thought, as a congregant sitting in the pew, how you would preach a sermon? Of course you have. You're all thought, thoughtful, smart, engaged people. You listen to a preacher, and while you might be grateful for some insights, and the Spirit might speak to you powerfully, there are times you must think, really, that's all you got? Or where exactly are we right now? Why does she talk so fast? Is this ever going to end? Listen, I've done my share of pew sitting. Just because I'm on this side of it now doesn't mean that I don't remember what it was like. And I've done some grumbling after what I thought was a poor showing or just plain boring. As if I could have done better. As if the pastor was just up there for my own personal edification to be critiqued by the amazing me. And like you, I have sat in the pew feeling uncomfortable with the subject of the passage or the pointedness of the pastor's words. This is what happens when we open the living word of scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. It's not necessarily always safe. It's that we would be changed for the glory of God, the sake of the kingdom. Today, we're reading a rather difficult passage, if you haven't noticed, and I was wondering how you all would preach this. It's an instruction for slaves. And then our mind goes to the slavery that we know about, which was a horrific reality in our country, where the effects of trauma and racism are still issues that all of us deal with. But not everyone believes that, and some people don't want to hear about that. But we can't not talk about it. 
and pretend like it didn't exist, even if we don't all agree with the impacts of how it still reverberates in our society today. Because the truth is that this passage was used to perpetuate slavery and to keep African Americans in their place. Even if the word here means household servant, and slavery in Rome was different than the slavery we had in this country, we have to mention it. And once we start talking about slavery, we have to lament how that barbaric practice is thriving all over the world today. With people held against their will or trapped in oppression that they cannot escape. Because to not mourn the evil and the sin of slavery and the fact that it's still happening and not lament the pain of slavery in our country and how subsequent generations of slave families were adversely affected because they were owned by other humans, how the lives of people we know and love would have been radically different today. To not talk about that is to not practice the compassion of Jesus in our world. We are called to be concerned for how we love others first before ourselves. And then great news, guest preachers, it doesn't get easier. Peter then goes on to tell the slaves to endure unjust pain silently because that is commendable to God. And when we hear that with our modern ears, we think, nope, mm -mm, nope, that's not right. We don't tell someone who's being abused to stay in that place so that God would get glory. No, we tell them to leave. Salsa puedes, escape as fast as you can. We give those facing abuse help or funds or a place to stay. But Peter says, Jesus endured it. And we say, yeah, well, he was God. <laughs> Remember the scripture from last week when we talked about Jesus saying, I willingly lay my life down. I willingly take my life up again. I went to the cross on my own accord. That's what Jesus was saying. But that's not what this is saying. Jesus died on the cross to give us a model to emulate. But surely we don't put up with unjust people just to be like Jesus. Do we? Where's the line here in cultural differences between Peter's time and ours? When are we supposed to endure suffering by doing good? And when are we supposed to get the heck out of a situation because it's not okay? We understand not responding in revenge to those who use their power in abusive ways over us, but this seems to be saying we should stay in it. So how do we honor and follow the scripture when it seems to be telling us something contrary to what we think is true now? How do we follow the example of Jesus? How can we understand Peter's world, even just a glimpse of it, while allowing the scripture to speak to us today? So how would you preach this? Well, we need to remember to always talk about context. So let's discuss that for a minute. Remember that the overarching theme of this section is freedom and submission. Christ is the foundation of the church, and we who are living stones have been given freedom, freedom through his death and resurrection. 
And last week, we started to talk about what Christians do with that freedom, to remember that we are aliens and exiles in this world, to distance ourselves from the desires of the flesh when they don't honor God, and to conduct ourselves honorably, to love people, to honor the authorities in our lives, to be subject to every human authority, to not use our freedom for evil, but to do the Lord's will. We talked about how verse 11 is the gate to the rest of the passage and how Peter is teaching Christians how to live in the real world. Now, Peter's world is different than ours, but here we are. And part of the point for us is the same as it was for them. That how do we as Christians keep a distinct identity in Christ as we reside in a land that is not our own? As the culture and those in authority push in on those who follow Christ, what does standing firm in Jesus look like? How do we exercise biblical holiness and great love? Another context idea we need to think about is how Christianity at this time is a new movement. These are not people of power. There's no moral majority going on here. This is a, a, a new movement set in the quagmire of Jewish roots planted in Roman soil. There's no equal rights. Minority voices were not given dignity. When we read this, we have to try and remember that Peter is not only trying to instruct believers, he is doing so with the long view in mind. Like Jesus, the goal isn't always to overthrow the regime. Rather, it's to transform it by following him. That's actually a pretty good main point. Let's stick to that, shall we? Let's transform the world that we live in by following Jesus and being transformed by him. Be like Jesus when you face hardship and suffer at the hands of unjust people. Oh, and one more context cue we might want to think about. Let's remember again who's talking. Peter, the disciple who took charge and told Jesus what to do. The one that pulled out his sword when the authorities came to arrest Jesus and then went and hid so that he himself wouldn't die. Peter wrote this after he grew after he was transformed by the gospel. And then we ask ourselves, how have we grown from our impetuous ways? How are we currently growing? An obvious way to preach something is to break down the passage into more manageable pieces. So we're going to do this. We're going to take it in two parts, verses 18 through 20 and then 21 through 25. And we're going to look to see where our lives intersect with the lives of those that Peter was talking to. The first section finds Peter instructing slaves and masters. It's curious, we might think, that right after the section about freedom, Peter directly addresses those on the lowest rung of society. Do you know what else he does? When we go back to verse 16, if you have your Bibles open, he says, as servants of God, we are to live as free people. The word servant there is doulos, which means slave. So as slaves to Christ, we are to live in freedom. See what he does there? As slaves to Christ live in freedom. Very good. But here in 18, the word we translate as slave is okatai, which means household servant. It's different. It's not the same word. In the Roman Empire, up to a third of the population could have been slaves. Slavery was a diverse institution. It was mostly an economic one. 
The Roman world set their entire economy on the institution of slavery. And as we wrestle with thinking about the immorality of that institution, let me tell you a few other things about it. Often it was a temporary condition for people becoming full citizens, full Roman citizens. Slavery was not based on skin color. It was sometimes desired over the experience of trying to go everywhere, being a vagabond, trying to find a job. Slaves carried with them the status of their masters, so it actually could be advantageous to them to be connected with someone as opposed to being out there on their own. And slaves weren't people who just did menial labor. They were doctors and writers and musicians and secretaries and sea captains and all kinds of things. Now, both Peter and Paul talk about the household codes. That's what this is. This is a household code which many philosophers that you would know also wrote about, because the home was considered the base of a strong society. As the home goes, so goes the society. But Plato and Aristotle and Seneca and others didn't speak highly of those who formed the backbone of the Roman economy. Aristotle called slaves human chattel and thought that they were not capable of high moral reasoning in Greek and Roman culture, I know. While Peter talks to these household servants about suffering unjustly, Aristotle wrote about them and said that there was no such thing as injustice for a slave. What would you be talking about? So it's imperative that we see how Peter is doing a radical thing here, that he is addressing, talking to some of the least in society as having agency and responsibility and how they respond to being poorly treated. While Christians didn't have the power to fight for equality because the Romans would have squashed them like bugs, Peter is intentionally talking to these people because they are his equals in Christ. One commentator wisely noticed that Peter writes about household codes as an example of differentiated acceptance and rejection of the surrounding culture. Mm. Dr. Karen Jobs agrees with this by saying how Peter has not been formed by the culture or the thoughts of his day in saying these things, but rather by the religious convictions of scripture and the savior of the world. So this is an idea we can intersect with today because our belief in Jesus should make us people who don't conform to cultural norms, especially when the dignity of others is at stake. That we should love all people well. No one is second class. We should work to elevate those who are treated poorly no matter who they are or how we feel about them. We might ask ourselves how our society has conditioned us to treat others with less respect when we don't agree with them. Jesus demands a different response from us than that. Now, Peter is concerned here with how followers of Christ respond when they are treated unjustly. And he is encouraging them to show their true allegiance by becoming obedient to God in their, their um, situation. Peter's concerned with the reputation of the faith. So another intersection here for us might be about work. 
Colossians reminds us that whatever work we do, we should do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter here is saying we can show our freedom by how we respond when we are not treated well. Anyone here ever not been treated well at work? How do we act when we are stuck in a job when the boss has it in for us? How do we act when we are stuck in a job, but we have a family to support, so we can't quit? We have no other prospects. How do we act when we're afraid of retaliation from those in authority? Peter's message here is that God is honored when we behave well toward those who mistreat us. There is an echo here, of course, of Jesus. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Turn the other cheek. Love even your most despised enemies. Peter says it's a commendable thing to endure beatings when you do good and suffer because of it. So let's just stop and acknowledge the tension that you might be feeling or thinking about through this passage. There are lots of ways that Christians subvert the... Uh, the social order of our lives. One way Peter was instructing believers in the early church was to be different in character. Be different. Be different than those around you. Not just to, to preserve the growing church, but also to show who God is. Dr. Martin Luther King, whose radical call to nonviolence when it would have been easy to react with hate, said this, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. That is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. Now this quote leads us naturally to our last section, verses 21 through 25. Peter says that Christians have been called to suffer for doing good. Why? Because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus who gave us an example of suffering. In Christian circles, we talk about being called into ministry, being called to serve a certain population, called to give in a certain way. But I don't hear very many people being glad that they're called to suffering. Has anyone ever told you that? I feel like I've been called to this suffering. Even though Jesus says we are blessed when that happens. Mostly we want to get rid of the suffering. We want to get out of it. We want to exile the bad feelings that come with it. We cry out for relief. Peter is saying we should welcome it because it's an opportunity to be like the Lord. This was a great privilege and mindset of the early church who wanted to align themselves so closely with their Savior in all things. And we might consider how our mindset is different than that today. To turn around the words of Dr. King, we want to be happy. We want good things. We want pleasure. We want to avoid those things that cause heartache. But the way of the Christian is the way of suffering. Peter says that Christ left us an example of suffering. Do you remember when you were in school or maybe at home and you were first learning how to write and your teacher or your parent gave you a sheet of paper with various letters of the alphabet with dots and dashes? 
and then you could just follow it with your pencil and make an A or an X or whatever. In this way, you learned how to copy the characters. It's the same word here. For example, it means pattern. Jesus showed us a tangible pattern that we could copy and endure suffering. Christ's suffering is our model because that's how we're saved. It's not just for our sins, but it's also for how we endure when we are called to suffering ourselves. It's our motivation. Jesus died so that we could live for him in the pain of this world. Here, Peter quotes Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. This is the most explicit passage in the New Testament that quotes Isaiah 53 to talk about Christ. And look what it says. Jesus committed no sin. There was never a lie that came from his lips. He did not retaliate, even though with one word he could have. When pressed in by suffering, Jesus did not threaten others with the available power of the universe at his disposal. He didn't compromise the call or the truth of God. The wounds that he took on his body bring us healing. Jesus suffered as a servant. Peter is telling these servants, Jesus was one of you. Jesus was one of you. What an honor. What an honor. That when we serve and when we suffer, we're like our Lord. Isaiah, who did not live to see the Messiah, and Peter, who was a witness to his grace, agree that Jesus entrusted himself to the one, to the God who judges with righteousness. So another intersection here for us is about humility. There's a bigger picture for Peter at stake here. There was a bigger picture for Jesus and the suffering that he endured. And when we humbly suffer, when God is calling us, when he's allowing us the opportunity to be like him, that's a sacred time. The suffering we're called to endure has a purpose, both for ourselves and for those around us. And so I want you to pause and just think for a minute about the suffering that you have experienced in your life. No one goes looking for suffering. But the suffering that you have experienced, how did it teach you who God is? How did it teach you and give you better things than you had before the suffering? Verse 25 gives two names for God, shepherd and guardian. Jesus is the good shepherd who watches over the sheep, who lays down his life for the sheep. Guardian here is the same word for bishop, which means overseer. Peter is reminding the church, don't be afraid. Don't leave Christ's side when you suffer. The Lord is there with great guidance and protection and love. No matter if you are hurting or wounded or angry, no matter what you've lost or think that you will never get again, Jesus is your shepherd and your guardian if we let him be. Such a beautiful picture. So preachers, how did we do? Peter wants the church to remember that we live by different standards than the rest of society. We are different people. 
over and over again, Christ defied human expectations and culturally accepted ways of doing things. And so much of what Jesus taught is about the heart, and that's what we see here. Be respectful, endure hardship with grace, don't return abuse, don't threaten, uphold the glory of God in your language and how you act, in your suffering, emulate Jesus. Your life is a sermon. Your life is a sermon. Every day, people are watching you. Every day. And how you love and the mistakes you make and what you do when you make those mistakes, how you honor God, how you persevere, and how you act when you have no power. So let us go before the Lord and talk to him about what he said to us about this scripture. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.